0: A few years ago, I was asked to teach a group of pastors in Cuba about the best practices for church leadership. Now I had never been to Cuba before and it occurred to me that I should try to learn something about the local context if I was going to speak intelligently to these men and women. So, I purchased a copy of the Lonely Planet Guide to Cuba. Now, in these guides, a team of people who have been to a country offer their best advice as to where to go, what to see, and what to expect. Well, once I got there, I was surprised how accurate their observations turned out to be. Now if you were traveling through Judah and Samaria in the first century, the Lonely Planet guide would have included the town of Sychar that was next to Jacob's well has a must-see location. Jacob's well had huge historical significance at the time because Jacob, the father of the Israelite nation, had supervised the digging of this well centuries earlier and gave the well to his son Joseph. Now, Anyone who was visiting the well would be reminded of this rich history and its significance. But Jacob's well was not just a national treasure. It was also a community center where the whole town gathered to draw water. And as they filled their jars, they would trade news stories and local gossip and maybe the occasional recipe or two. It was a place where the community gathered every morning. Now, when I pastored in the dairy farming community of Kinburn, Ontario, people's homes were spread out farm by farm. And dairy farmers are the model of hardworking people. They're busy. But from time to time, someone in the household would need to pick up the mail, or buy some feed for the cattle, or do some banking, and if I wanted to know what was going on in the community, I would just show up the post office, the feed store, or the bank, and talk to whoever was there. Jacob's Well was just such a place. If there'd been a Lonely Planet Guide to Judea and Samaria at the time, Jacob's Well would definitely have been in the list of top 20 places to see. Well, today, I just happen to have the most recent Lonely Planet Guide to Israel. And among the top 20 places recommended to visit is the modern town of Nabalus. And Nabalus is next to, you guessed it, Jacob's Well. Seriously, page 287 of the guide tells you all about Jacob's Well. Now we know why Jacob's Well would have made the first century of the Lonely Planet Guide, but why is it still a destination in the 21st century version? Well, according to the Lonely Planet people, we are still talking about Jacob's well today because what happened there, one ordinary day in the first century, a moment captured by the Apostle John in the fourth chapter of his gospel. Now, we're currently in the midst of a series we've entitled Encountering Jesus, and so far, we've retold the stories of two people who were intentionally looking for Jesus. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and the rich young ruler. Now both of these men had an unforgettable encounter with Jesus. Each of them was challenged to see their world differently and to make a life-changing decision as a result. Today I want to retell the story of someone who wasn't looking for Jesus, but who encountered him unexpectedly in the midst of going about her everyday business. Today I want to invite you to listen in on one of the Gospel's most remarkable conversations. Now the story begins with a decision Jesus makes to take a trip home from Jerusalem. He's determined to lead his band home to Galilee, and the shortest route from south to north is through Samaria, and that means you go through the town of Sychar. And this is how John sets the scene. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. (laughs) Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but the disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back home to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, and so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or about noon. So do you get the picture? Jesus and the twelve are en route from Jerusalem to Galilee, and they make a pit stop at Jacob's well. The apostles left Jesus to get food and drink, and so we find an exhausted Jesus alone resting at the well about noon, the hottest time of the day. Now, the locals would have all come and gone. They would have fetched their water earlier in the cool of the day. So at noon, the well was pretty much deserted except for Jesus. But there is someone else who is making her way to Jacob's well. A local Samaritan woman coming for water. A familiar journey she had made countless times before. And oddly, she comes at a time when she wouldn't have to interact with the local townsfolk. But her thirst brings her to the well. And what she needs is water. But when she gets to this familiar place, someone unfamiliar is already there. Even when you are not seeking Jesus, he is always seeking you. And you may run into him when you least Expected. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Because you see his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John helps us again in brackets, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The interaction between Jesus and this woman is the longest recorded conversation in all of the Gospels. Which is remarkable because there are so many reasons why this conversation should never have happened in the first place. This conversation between Jesus and the woman of Sychar takes place against the backdrop of entrenched cultural and racial and social expectations. There are at least five cultural conventions or taboos that should have sidetracked this unexpected and unplanned encounter before it even began. Any one of them should have been enough to shut down the conversation right then and right there. First of all, there was the gender issue. In that day, men did not have public conversations with women. That was a social expectation of the day. Women did their talking at home. It was considered inappropriate for men to talk to women in a public place. When his disciples get back with lunch, even they are surprised to find Jesus in conversation with this woman. I mean, it just wasn't done. It was nothing less than scandalous. But there wasn't just the gender issue. There was also a race issue. Because the Jews saw the Samaritans as mixed race and therefore unclean. After the Assyrian conquest of Israel... They took the best of Jewish society and leadership captive, and they replaced them with a non-Jewish population from various places in their empire. Now over time, these transplanted Gentiles intermarried with the Jews who were left to care for the land. So in the Jewish mind, the Samaritans were the offspring of an impure race. It was considered unclean to even touch anything that a Samaritan had touched. Many devout Jews would not even travel through Samaria, but would go around it on their way north. So in this conversation, the things that separate Jesus and this woman were to do with gender issues and to do with racial issues, but that wasn't all. There was also the political issue. The Jews had spurned the help of the Samaritans when they returned from exile. When the Jews returned, the local Samaritans offered to help them rebuild the Jewish temple, but they were rebuffed. And the Samaritans never got over that slight. Old wounds can fester for generations and then of course there was the religious issue jesus and the woman had two separate systems of worship and when it was obvious that the jews were not going to include them the samaritans adopted their own system of worship that focused only on the first five books of the old testament and they built themselves their own temple on mount gerizim and that was where the israelites had first entered the promised land and reaffirmed their covenant with god Over time, both groups became entrenched in their prejudices and practices. And then last but certainly not least, there was the moral issue, because the Samaritan woman had a past. The woman of Sychar was not just a woman and not just a Samaritan woman. As we will discover, she is a woman familiar with heartbreak, and ridicule and unkindness and shame and alienation. People had talked to her about the well. That is the way it is in towns where anyone's business is everyone's business. In the eyes of both Jews and Samaritans, she was living an immoral lifestyle. She knew what people were thinking and saying about her, so she avoided them as much as you possibly can in a small place like Sychar. So you see, This woman's personal life was complicated in so many ways. This conversation should never have happened. With all this baggage in tow, what would have been going on in this woman's mind as she considered Jesus' request? And as she wavers there between shock and astonishment, there is a hint of an edge to her response to Jesus, so as to say, seriously, you are asking me for a drink? You men don't even talk to us women unless you want something. And you Jews think you're so much better than us unwashed Samaritans. You are asking me for a drink? Like, really? At this point in the conversation, the woman has no idea who she's talking to. Jesus is just another stranger at the well. Well, Jesus is not thrown by her response. He is more than familiar with the distance between him and this woman. But he's also aware of who she is as a person in need of new life and new hope. So he makes a deliberate decision to defy social convention and tradition and reach out to this Samaritan woman. He begins to build the bridge over which he will pass to give her the light of life that will change everything for her for now and for eternity. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that asks you for a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, said the woman, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Well, Jesus' answer here is fascinating. The woman challenges him for asking her for water, but he turns the conversation over and offers her a drink of living water instead, something that could change everything in her life. The woman is bewildered. She doesn't have a category in her mind for what Jesus is saying. Jesus has just moved the conversation from the material to the spiritual, and she is still stuck back on where she's gonna get water. She looks at Jesus, and she looks around him, And she says, who do you think you are, greater than Jacob? Like you don't even have a jar to draw water with, and you are going to give me water? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is where Jesus offers the woman an invitation to receive what it is that he has to offer. It's nothing less than the eternal life in him that will quench the deepest thirst of her soul. This is the gospel invitation to come to Jesus and receive the life that only he can give you. Now at this point, the woman has gone from mild interest in a chance encounter with a stranger to serious engagement with what Jesus is saying. Jesus has drawn her in. And at this point, the woman is still thinking in terms of what would be practically advantageous for her. No more awkward visits to the well. But there's something in her soul that is leaping at the idea of receiving living water. And even though she isn't quite clear on what Jesus is offering, she takes a chance and asks to receive this amazing water. And as she stands there with Jesus, sweltering in the heat of the day, the woman says to Jesus, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and won't have to keep coming here to the well to draw water. In the course of this conversation, the Samaritan woman has moved from initial disinterest to skepticism to cautious receptivity. Although she's still struggling to get beyond the material and practical, she basically says to Jesus, listen, I'm not sure I totally get it but I think I want whatever it is that you're offering. I mean, this is a cool offer on a hot day that she can't afford to ignore. Her practical need is water, but Jesus knew that her real need went deeper than physical thirst. And so he invites her to think beyond the relational barriers between them and to receive this new kind of water that would meet the need of her heart and spirit. And then Jesus says something crazy, something totally random, something totally out of the blue. Jesus gets a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit and makes a surprising and startling observation. And in doing so, Jesus shows the woman that he knows her, her heart and her heartbreaks, her longings and disappointments, her choices and her current conduct. He gets it all. And it begins to dawn on her that Jesus is not just any stranger that you meet at a well in the middle of the day. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is actually quite true. Okay, she did not see this coming. This was just a little more truth about her life than she was ready to discuss. Jesus was getting way too close from home. Now, she had longed for a relationship that would meet her heart's desire, but she had been burned by a series of relationships. Now, we don't know if she'd been divorced or widowed or maybe both, but this many relationships in a small town were bound to invite speculation. She had spent most of her life hiding, defending herself, and enduring gossip. And so she does hear what we all do when we feel unsafe. She changes the subject. She wants to divert attention away from what she doesn't want to talk about. Or maybe she was even sincerely interested in what Jesus had to say, or maybe it was a little bit of both. Clearly, Jesus knows something about religion, so she decides to bring up the theological issue dividing Samaritans and Jews. Sir, the woman says, I can see that you are a prophet. Now, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will uh, worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, yet, a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit and his worships uh, worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, take a deep breath, because what Jesus says here is nothing less than breathtaking. In this response to her theological question, he cuts right through censors of formal religion, political prejudice, and political animosity in a moment of time. What Jesus says here echoes from the first century to our own he is essentially saying to her and to us that where and how you worship ultimately doesn't matter much it is who you worship that matters and that is true for men and women for jews and samaritans for the privileged and the dispossessed eternal life is not about rules and religion it is about a relationship with the living god it is our spirit communing with god who is spirit God is seeking anyone who comes to him in faith and trust. He's looking for those who are prepared to receive eternal life as a free gift, living water that meets the innermost thirst of the human soul. I think that the immensity of what Jesus is saying here is dawning on her soul and she is left speechless as a result. I mean, it leaves her without anything else to say. She is totally out of her league spiritually. So without anything else to say, she appeals to the highest authority She knows. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you, I am he. I think this is the moment where the lights come on for the Samaritan woman. Right here. She says to Jesus, listen, when the Messiah comes, he will explain all this. Jesus, I see that we can't resolve our issues today, but one day it will all be sorted out. When the Christ comes, then we will know. Then I will know. And Jesus answers her, I am that Messiah. I am the Christ you are looking for. It's noteworthy that the woman of Sychar is the only one in the Bible to whom Jesus so clearly and boldly makes this claim. And suddenly, it all begins to make sense to her. Suddenly, her eyes open to the reality of the one who is sitting before her. Suddenly, the puzzle pieces are starting to come together. I can only imagine what burst in that woman's heart at that very moment. But in that moment, she got it. In that moment, she believed. In that moment, she realized that if Jesus was who he said he was, then he could deliver what he promised, living water that would quench her thirst, not only for now, but for eternity. How do I know that she believed? Well, later in John 4, she forgets why she came to the well in the first place. She leaves behind the jar she brought to draw water, and she runs to the town to tell everyone who listened that the long-awaited Messiah is in town and hanging out at Jacob's well. So far in this series, we have met two who came seeking Jesus. Jesus treats them both with respect. He cares about them both. Nicodemus had it made, but he struggled to get past everything he'd been taught and grasp what Jesus was saying about finding eternal life. The rich young ruler had it all. He totally gets what Jesus is saying, but is unwilling to give up his own agenda. In contrast to these men, the woman in our story was a female a Samaritan with a serious complicated family connection. She had precious little going for her, but when the woman of Sychar meets Jesus in an unplanned and a potentially scandalous encounter, according to the customs of the day, something moves in her soul. She is the one set free from the limitations of her life and who immediately puts her growing faith into action by announcing the Messiah to the whole community. There is a man at the well who told her all that she ever did, someone who understands her, someone who knows what she needs and offers her the kind of life that she'd been searching for forever and never finding. And when she finds Jesus open to her despite our past, her past, he opens her heart and mind to receive the life that Jesus offers her despite her reservations. If you will come to Jesus with your thirsting soul, you will not leave without living water. Now, we all have a story and we all have baggage that we carry. Listen, I can't claim to know all your history or your hurts. I I don't know your baggage, your beliefs. I don't know your innermost heart or your heartbreaks. But this I do know and this a Samaritan woman knows and bears witness to across the centuries to this moment. Jesus is the Messiah that everyone is longing and looking for. He reaches out to you across the obstacles of gender and race. He reaches out to you across the divides of tradition and politics. He reaches out to you even across the barriers of faulty belief and immoral behavior. He understands you and he cares about you so much that he laid down his life for you. He's the only one that can deliver the living water that meets your soul's deepest need. You may try and quench your thirst in a thousand different ways, But only Jesus can give you what your parched heart most desperately needs. By the way, according to the most recent Lonely Planet Guide to Israel, this incredible encounter recorded in John 4 is the very reason why you should make your way to Jacob's well, page 287. You'll never know who you might find there waiting for you. But hear me. I'm not suggesting for a moment that you have to go all the way to Israel and Jacob's well to encounter Jesus. Whoever you are, Jesus can meet you in this moment, wherever you are. He is looking for you already. He knows your heart, your history, your habits, and still he waits to encounter you at your own Jacob's well moment. The Samaritan woman seized her moment and reached out to receive the living water that Jesus offered. And over the centuries, millions have followed her example. What about you? Will you reach out to Jesus right now and receive his spirit and eternal life? If that's a decision you wanna make today, then I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. Our God and Father, we thank you for this incredible story about Jesus and the woman at the well who you so dearly loved. And Lord, has the Samaritan woman went past all of her reservations, moved past all of the barriers to reach out to you. Lord, I pray today that that one who is listening today, who just feels the call of Jesus, that they would reach out to you and find forgiveness of their sin, healing, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would meet them right now at their own Jacob's well, wherever they are. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to make the decision that will move them from faith to life, that will help them to become a part of your forever family, that they would receive the gift of eternal life that starts now and just never quits. I ask it for them in Jesus' name. If you've made that decision today for the very first time. There's a number on the bottom of the screen, and we'd invite you to call that number. There's somebody there who would love to talk to you about how you can take the next step in your walk of faith. God bless you, each one.